I speak tonight for the dignity of man and the Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to this American Podcast Comedy Edition, ComedySchoolsRadio.com. I'm Tony Visick, and I'm excited, I'm pleased, I'm tickled pink to have in the studio with me two of the guys who I think are two of the funniest men in America, and I'm not exaggerating, uh, I have uh, in the in studio Jeff Altman and Jackson Purdue. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning. Nice, nice to be here. I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad it's at, at, at 9.15 in the morning. <laughs> it's 9:40. Oh, well, I'm awake then. You're not. Yeah, you're awake. It, it, I mean, yeah, you've done these radio shows where, it's, hey, we need you here at 6 a.m. Yep. Come in here and be funny right away. Be funny now. We're talking about the three things that smell weird in your underwear, and after that, we're giving away tickets to a club. You're not playing it. There you go. Yeah. So you guys have done those. It's a. Uh, 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 I just want to tell uh, two quick stories about uh, the both of you, all right, uh, and why I um, was uh, really excited to hear that you were coming to town. Um, in the, the year of our Lord, 1978, right around this time, because it was uh, during World Series time, I would, I packed up all my stuff in, in St. Louis, Missouri, and drove cross-country to uh, Hollywood, California. And I rented a, a weekly off a of Highland, and I went for a walk that day because I was scared to death to drive. And I walked, and I walked, and I walked, and I walked. As, it's, this is like a little, a little fairy tale. And all of a sudden, I looked up, and I was standing in front of the comedy store. I did hmm. not realize I had walked... In front of, and I'm standing there, and I go, oh, my God, i got to go in that place. Because I'd heard about it. It was legendary. It was a hot place. I'd seen all these comics on uh, the, uh, the Tonight Show and on a show called Make Me Laugh. And I go, i got to go in there. And either the first, second, or third, because I forget which order it was, comic I ever saw live in my entire life was you, Jeff Altman. I went in there. I sat down. And it was, a, it was like um, a golden age classic lineup of some of the still funniest people in the world ever it was you, it was David Letterman, it was Jay Leno, it was, uh, I believe, Tom Dreesen. I don't think Johnny Dark. I saw him at a different time. Jimmy Walker and you, and you, um, you ran on the stage and you sat on a, uh, a stool, similar to the one behind you, and started barking like a dog. I laughed so hard, I actually was in physical pain. I was actually a little upset because I go, I didn't come here to be in physical pain. I laughed so hard. It was one of the funniest shows. And I've seen a lot of comedy shows in the interim, by the way. It was one of the funniest shows that I ever saw, and uh, it was a night that I always remember. Well, thank uh, you. Uh, and uh, and I saw you several times then, and we've we've known each other over the years. That's we right. occasionally ran into one another, and it's always been a pleasure and a delight. Um, I saw you um, a few years ago at the Comedy Store. I had a young guy who had moved from Phoenix out there. Uh, he's I'm not going to mention his name. He's not doing much. He's a funny guy. But I went to see him, and I saw you in the main room at the Comedy Store, and uh, still funny as ever, man. Well, thank you very much, Tony. It's uh you know, always great to get up on stage, and uh, you know, now being 87 years old, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's always a pleasure just to know that I can get up there and stand there for 45 minutes or a half hour or whatever I'm doing. But uh, well, you did the Letterman show. Well, I remember that I would watch. I'd see you on the Letterman show, and you know, you get to a point in life. There's a point in life, perhaps, when you watch uh, the late night talk shows religiously, and it's usually when you don't have any money to go out drinking. But uh, I would watch them religiously, but then, then you only watch them on occasion, and then I would see that you were going to be on the Letterman show, and I go, i got to watch that. And I'm going to say that of, and 
Dave was great, I believe, uh, about having the friends that he started out with on his show. That's right. You know, um, and but you would be the one that would crack him up. He couldn't go on. He would just kind of shut up and let you do your thing. Where uh, the other comics was more of a, a very funny guys, George Miller and John Witherspoon, and, and a, a big list of guys. But you, <coughs> you were just so entertaining to him. He had such a great time. And every chance I got to see on television, I would watch. Well, thanks. Man. So I, I think that um, one of the cool things about having the Laugh Factory here in town, okay, and the connection through Harry Basil, who books the club. Right. You know, and Jamie, who um, uh, has the Laugh Factory on, on the Sunset Strip and has now expanded out, is that a lot of guys who weren't in the market for various reasons, most of them political or business, are now in this market. And uh, the people in town... There are certain cities in America where there's one comedy club, and somehow the people think that the comics there are the only comics in the world. That's right. Then someone opens up another comedy club, and they go, oh, there's other people. The Laugh Factory is just bringing in a stunning a stunning lineup of people. And uh, when Paul Hopp told me you guys were coming, I go, we got to have them in. And then Paul uh, wrote me last night and said, uh, I'm drunk, and I'm not going to be able to pick these guys up. Uh. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say he was drunk. <laughs> He said Jackson was drunk. No, and uh, there was an emergency. That's what I, I was thinking. I said, I think I said that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm drunk. Don't pick <laughs> me up. <laughs> now, the, the other comic we have in the room is Jackson Purdue. And um, uh, Jackson, I don't know one another, but you've been one of my uh, favorites from a distance for some time. Uh, one of my mentors, Rich Scheidner, goes, you can always tell if a guy's really funny if you remember a joke he told. He goes, you'll watch a comic, you won't remember him. He goes, but if he tells one joke. And you have a joke that to this day, I don't know why. I might have gone over to see Steve Kravitz for some reason, if you know Steve. Mm -hmm. And I'd go over to the comedy store, and for some reason I was going from room to room. And you happened to be on stage, and you told a joke that has stayed with me forever. I'm going to tell your joke. I'm not, okay, but... I think I know which one it is. Jeff and I were just talking about this on the way up here. All right, tell me which one you think it is. It's about the sexual infielder? No, no. <laughs> it's one that rang a bell to me so strong. I want to hear that joke. Here's the joke. And the joke was, remember when you were a kid... And they used to tell you that anybody can grow up to be president of the United States. Remember the day you figured out it wasn't going to be you? You realized that you would never be the president? Yeah. I said, yeah, yeah I'm not. screwing up your job. That joke. And it, I think I thought it, it was such a great joke because I think all of us as kids were told that anybody can be president, Johnny. You just have to go to school and brush your teeth. And one day you go, I don't think I'm going to be president. Uh, it yeah. was a great, it's one of the great jokes. I said I remember the day when I realized when I was going to be president when I was uh, in junior high and I was walking home from school and I had 13 F's on my report card. And I said, you know, <laughs> it hit me then. You know, I don't think I'm going to be the man. <laughs> That's when that happened. But yeah, oddly enough, later on, George, uh, George a Bush. C goes student, goes yeah, a C student, yeah. A C student. So, yeah, that, yeah I, could, I did that joke again when that came back. But, but that's interesting that you, that's the one that you remember because uh, most a, people remember nothing. There's a famous j joke that it circles among the comedians, and uh, maybe Jackson would do it for us now. It's about the uh, well, sexual I, I, proclivities of different people, but go ahead. Well, I, I, the joke is basically about being older in the single world and that how... Uh, I l enjoy sex, but I'm just tired of all the PR and footwork that goes into getting it. <laughs> and I say, you know, when it comes to getting sex, I'm, I don't know if I'm getting old or lazy or what, but uh, when it comes to getting late, I'm like a, an old infielder in that if, if you hit it right to me, you know, I'll put out my glove and snag it, but I'm not diving for it anymore. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. You can still play on the beer league. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, 
I just don't have the range I used to. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeff, you started when did he, because you were there? You know, I just reread, by the way. Um, I just reread. Um, uh, I'm dying up here. Right. I just reread it. Uh, a friend of mine. I, I was in L.A. and that's when I uh, I went and had lunch with Rich Scheidner and Kevin Rudy and another funny writer named Mike Langsworthy hanging out with them. And the guy who was with us says, "Have you read the book?" I go, "Years ago, I reread it." But you were there when this whole thing kind of started. Well, I, I, I don't want to, I don't know, toot my own horn, but uh, I was one of the guys, I guess, along with Letterman and Leno and a few other guys that started that place, really yeah. kind of got it going. It started in 72. I came out in 74. I had just graduated from college. And, uh, you know, uh, one night I went into the comedy store on a Saturday night, and there, wasn't, there was not enough people to go on, <laughs> if you can believe that. So I walked over to this little woman who had curly hair, and I assumed she was the owner. It was Mitzi. Yeah. Mitzi Shore, who owned the comedy store. And uh, I said, uh, I, I do some impressions. And she said, well, go on up and see what you can do. And I walked up on stage, and I did my, my little, remember David Fry? Of course I do, yeah. Uh, I did most of his act. I am Dr. Crook. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, so she said, well, that was good. You can come back. She didn't know who David Fry was. And... Uh, <laughs> So uh, then I started developing my own act, and uh, then a lot of a lot of other great guys came out in the '70s, like Jackson and like uh, Tim Thomerson and like uh, Charlie Hill, and so many more. Right, uh, Jackson? Yeah, they all came through there. Do you remember when Mitzi hired David Fry? David Fry y yes, in the I main do. room. Yes, I do. He was a mess. Well, uh, toasty. <laughs> for, for people who don't know, and, and, I mean, a lot of comics. There's, there's a huge comedy scene here in town. A lot of comics. Listen to this show. David Fry was um, uh, this incredible impressionist impersonator who we used to see on the Ed Sullivan show all the time yeah. when we were kids. Who uh, did a drop dead Lyndon Johnson and also did a drop dead um, uh, then Richard Nixon. You know, uh, I mean, it was just to a T. And then later on, developed some some lifestyle issues. Steve Sharippa told me a story of him in Vegas uh, where he had a some sort of physical problem where he had to go and ice a certain yeah. part of his body between shows. He didn't. He he actually went in the ice. Oh, he, he went he in the ice. He relieved himself in the ice. So when I say relieve himself, he had to go to the bathroom. So he'd have somebody else come up on stage, or he'd run a film, and then he'd come yeah, back up, yeah. on, and then he'd come back up on stage. But he was a, he was a hero to me when I was a kid. You know, he I just thought his impressions were so yeah, fresh yeah. and different and new. And he I I've had many conversations with him, and he would always say to me. Uh, uh, well, the first time I was on the Tonight Show, I guess it was '78, and he called me up and he said, uh, uh, "Jeff, he sounded, he sounded like Nixon. Yeah. He, said, he really sounded like Nixon." This is David Fry. I'm in Miami. I said, well, th "Thank you, David." Uh, uh, he said, "I just saw you on the Tonight Show. You were terrific." And I did Nixon on the Tonight Show. He said, "I love the Nixon. I love everything." By the way, I'm in Miami, and I, and I said, "That's great, David. Uh, I really appreciate this call." Did I tell you I'm in Miami? <laughs> and that was the rest of the conversation was him telling me that he was in Miami. <laughs> so he was a very strange guy, yeah. but very talented. Yeah. So Mitzi hired him one night at the comedy store, and was it a was it an interesting evening for reasons Shh. other than comedy? Yeah, well, because he was drunk, but she hired him as one of the first acts in the main room, one of the first name acts when she was launching the main room because nobody else was known. You know, nobody knew Robin or. Jay or Lemon, yeah. so she brought in a name act to experiment with that, and he was just a terrible drunk, 
and uh, was, uh, you know, too wasted really to do his job, basically. And I remember watching that set as a young comic, and I was just starting out, and it was, to me, it was a cautionary tale. Like, wow. Yeah. You know, and for a lot of those guys, the um, it, it wasn't as much accepted mainstream culture to seek out, like, 12-step help or something like a lot of our friends have. Yeah, that was right. pretty yeah. That was pre all that. When I, when I first met Argus Hamilton, I was actually a bartender on Melrose Avenue, and I, I had a, a side business going. Um, I was an unlicensed pharmaceutical rep. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. um, right. Argus was one of my, um, one of my more steady um, uh, customers. Patients, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and my brother and I worked together. My brother would say, uh, uh, we're going to front Argus. And I can't believe I'm, I, you know, Argus knows this story. Argus and I talk all the time. And, uh, I, and I didn't know him. And I go, you're not fronting that guy. He owes us money. And he goes, he's a famous comic. I go, I don't care what he is. He owes, I got like Mickey and Rocky. He owes us money. And, uh, and when I um, uh, cleaned up uh, a few years later, I was actually getting ready to leave a meeting and go drink. I went, you know, fuck this, I'm drinking. And as I got up, I saw Argus sitting there and I went, wow. And uh, uh, that became available to our generation. Okay, where yeah. for David Fry's generation, it wasn't, it wasn't, nobody would go up and go, hey, you should go to a meeting, you should check into rehab, yeah, yeah, there was no yeah, such yeah. thing, so it was very tough for a lot of those guys. Yeah. Now it's chic, chic to do that, but uh, in those days, you know, you just had to you weather it yourself. Yeah. But David inspired me, I won't perform now unless I'm drunk. Yeah, that's it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, what he used to do a bit about, you just, the way you did was so, um, so gonzo. You start talking about a hamburger up your nose. I mean, you had the pants bit about your dad and his pants. I yeah. mean, these were well, that these was my dad. Yeah, I mean, these were killer bits. These were career launching bits for you. That's folks that are probably listening, unless they're they're under the age of uh, sixteen. <laughs> um, probably know me from uh, doing my dad because I pull up my pants to my, uh, you know, my neck, and that was my dad. I mean, you know, by the time he was like you know, seventy years old, he had to pull down his zipper to drive. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> hey, I'm doing my act. What do you think? <laughs> Beautiful, huh? I killed last night. He killed last night. Yeah, I'm sure he did. I watched three quarters of his act. It was just, uh, you got smoking. How come only three quarters? What happened to the first quarter? I had, I had to get home to my lovely fiance. Oh, so you came out here with your... Um... I came out here with... Uh, uh, Jackson and I have a remarkable, a remarkable coincidence that has happened to both of us. Which is? We both hooked up with our high school sweeties. No. Get out of town. They, they uh, I hooked up with his high school sweetie. That's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never thought that would happen. Yeah, and, and, and the fact that... That's uh, why he didn't see your show last night. <laughs> he right. was over in your room. Yeah, I was keeping her company while he was, <laughs> he was, while he was pulling up his pants. <laughs> while you were pulling up your pants, he was pulling... Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. So you, you're, you're both now... Um, uh, we're all grown men at this point. Right. Okay. Um, I got some incredible... Yeah, I, used to, I worked the road for 15 years. I and I would come into cities where you had been. And I, heard, I used to hear some... I heard stories about you taking over... Jeff taking over an entire Denny's and cooking the food and serving people and just uh, and, and just such manic energy. No one knew what to do. Here's, you want to hear, a, this is a great Jeff Altman Road story, okay? I used to work at a club called um, uh, It's Comedy in Cleveland, Ohio. And it was a big 350-seat room in a basement next to a Peaches record store across from a White Castle. So it was heaven for me. Yeah, okay. I remember that. And you had worked, and I was pretty good friends with uh, the owner who was kind of a, kind of a bent-nosed guy, uh, uh, in Cleveland and the managers it was it was a, it was a really Cleveland business deal and they were telling me about you had been in a month before and they go we had Jeff Altman and I go hey, he's one of the funniest guys go yeah and I go 
but you know he, he's very demanding and I go what do you mean they go well he came in and I hope I'm not embarrassing you it's a funny story you're gonna love this story if you remember this because and I realized what you were doing and sometimes you're on the road for so long you go okay what can I do you know he demanded that we have two girls in bikinis and high heels sit with them in the green room before the show. <laughs> and that you told them, that, and they go, well, that's illegal. You know, I don't want to sleep with them. I don't want to touch them. I just that's want right. them to sit there because they make me giggle and they make me feel good. And if you do that, I'll have a great show. But if not, I don't know. And he goes, he goes, and, 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 and the guy goes, the guy was like livid. He goes, I couldn't believe he was asking this. And I go, what'd you do? He goes, I go, why are you so upset? He goes, you know how hard it was to find tan girls in Cleveland in December? <laughs> but this guy went out and found two tan girls in Cleveland. I sort of remember that. That was one of the strangest requests I ever made. I wanted to just see if he'd do it, and he did it. <laughs> you know, I said it, I said it to him as kind of a joke. And uh, I said, you know, what I'd really like, you know, he said, is there anything I can get you? I said, yeah, two girls in a bikini to sit with me before the show. And they just sat there, and we just... Shot the shit, and it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I went out and, uh, you know, frankly, bombed with a boner. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, it gets like that on the road sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, would you guys both agree that after a while, even though you love doing comedy, you love the shows, it becomes like a Simon and Garfunkel song, each town seems the same to me, and that you start doing silly things just to keep yourself amused? I try to stay asleep. Most yeah. of the time, you know, there's no reason for me to be awake. You know, when you're on the road, you're waiting for the show to start. That's that's the whole yeah. day is about showtime. So I, I I try to stay up all night and sleep all day. That's my It's time. probably the safest route. Yeah. yeah. Unless you have to get up early and do a radio thing or yeah. something like that. I've but, gone to house parties where I go, um, people, you know, the waiters and waiters go, hey, we're going to a party. You should come with us and be at a house party someplace in Detroit going... I really don't belong here. <laughs> yeah, right. see, that was last night for me. People go, yeah, let's go to this club and blah, 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 blah. And I go, hey, no, no, you know, I'm going to go to the grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get some milk. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to go back to my room. So that's the thing about being around so long, those things we all did in the 80s. You know, yeah. we don't do that anymore. You know, people are still doing that, ain't around anymore. Yeah, that's so, true. A lot, of, a lot of good ones ago. Jackson, did you start in the seventies or eighties? I started in the seventy, late seventies. I came 70s. to the comedy store in seventy-seven. Uh, okay. And then moved to LA in seventy-eight, and yeah, so I, I started there, and you know, worked at the store and babysit at Polly, and you know, painted that place. And, you know, when you, know, you worked at the store, it was like that show, The Big Valley, where and, and Mitzi was. Uh, Barbara Stanwyck. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> or maybe Gene and, Smart and Fargo and, now. I don't know. And yeah. so <laughs> and so like the Big Valley, if you worked there, you had to be one of the ranch hands, you know, if, if you were one of her stars. So you worked the door, you you know, were the gopher. I was the gopher. I was the door. I, I painted that place. Some of my paint is still on the wall in the main room. I painted that, you know, that's still my paint. So, yeah, I, I started there right out of almost high school. Wow. So you, I mean, both of you guys were kind of, I consider, it's really kind of, the modern era of stand-up really kind of started uh, uh, in the late 70s at the comedy store. Even even a little, yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly Jackson was in on it, and uh, uh, certainly I was in on it, Letterman, and uh, the, the people aforementioned. Yeah, you know, were, yeah. Were, I mean, the that, guys that started really. And at that time, Walker was the only name. Right, yeah. So right, he, he's right. the one who really was the star of the comedy store and really gave that place legs. You know, he was so hot from good times. And so. Steve Landisberg. And Steve, Steve Landisberg. And Freddie Prinze. 
and Freddie Yeah, Freddy, but I mean, those yeah. were the three that, yeah. that's, I think that that, you know, because the word kind of filtered out, it became that myth, you know, that, well, these guys just, they went up and did five minutes at a comedy store, now they have a sitcom, and almost in Freddie Prince's case, that was almost absolutely true, that it, it wasn't like, he was only 19, it wasn't yeah. like he had years of showbiz behind him. He didn't come from a showbiz background. Yes, he was, you know, I was thinking about him the other day and I was watching some of his videos and, you know, he was really only famous for about a thousand days. Yeah. About three years was his reign, you know. I mean, he died at 22. Jeez. So, you know, he, he was around for about a thousand days and, uh, you know, poor Freddie. Uh, but Freddie's death is one of the reasons that prompted me to move to L.A., when I did, because I was a fan of his, I wanted to meet him, and then when he died, I started thinking, "I got to get up there, man. I got to, you know, somebody's got to take his place." Yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> I thought I was going to be the Japanese Freddie Prince. I thought, yeah, I will be the next Freddie Prince, the Asian Freddie Prince. Yeah. But now I think of it, I thank God I wasn't, because you know that's, you know, the first Freddie Prince didn't work out that well. You, you know? know, in the book, because uh, like I said, I just reread it. Um, I just reread it too, not too long ago. Did uh, and I, I don't want to mispronounce his name. God rest his soul, Steve Lebetkin. Yep, Steve Lebetkin. Lebetkin. Yeah. I mean, now in I've talked to people that go that the author in in to create a narrative because it's a, the book has a great narrative. You know, I mean, it plays out well. It's not just a memoir or a, or a history book. It's a great story uh, that he made him a little more prominent in the book than he actually was because he becomes the cautionary tale or the linchpin. I mean, do you guys remember this guy? Was I was in his movie. You were in his movie. You were in Dante Shaco. I was in Dante Shaco. Okay. I played Hubert Humphrey. You remember, <laughs> remember Hubert Humphrey, the, yeah, the yeah. politician yeah. from Minnesota? Yeah, well, course. I'd certainly like to say this. I'm as proud as punch <laughs> to be here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good Humphrey. Anyway, uh, I was in that, and I did that uh, impression in the movie, and then uh, I was ushered out, out of uh, the set. But uh, I can proudly say I was in Dante Shaco. And, of course, his... What we're all talking about is he committed suicide and he jumped to his death in front of the comedy store. And, uh, I mean, there has probably been no single in a, uh, incident as, as uh, momentous as that. Yeah. Although a guy was killed there the other night. At the, the, uh, the, the Hyatt House, the Riot House? No, no, at the comedy store. Uh, at the comedy store, shot. Shot, right. We saw that, yeah. Uh, but, you know, my, my experience with the Steve episode was that was during the strike and at that time when they were picketing out were you part of the picket line sure so they were all picketing out there and that time i was some uh, open micer on monday night but i used to go there every day and so i would go to the hyatt house next door and i would sit on the roof with my feet dangling over the edge smoking a joint watching those people picket and i remember thinking that if somebody wants to make some kind of weird statement, it looks like you can jump onto the comedy store, but it's an illusion. Okay. Yeah. It's an optical illusion. But I thought, you, you know, geez, it looks like you jump on the store and maybe, some, you know, and then like a week later that happened. And from what I understand, he landed about five feet from the edge of the building because you can't jump yeah. a couple hundred feet over there, but it no. certainly looks like you can. And I remember when that happened, there was an article Somebody read a, art, a wrote an article, and they were the author was saying that before he found out the name of the person, that he thought it was five other comics that he knew. Mm -hmm. So you know, there were a lot of people on that precarious line yeah. 
But Steve was never really a strong act. He had one joke that always used to crack me up. He used to do uh, this Ed Sullivan thing where he'd come out and say, well, youngsters, you have a wonderful young spider who's going to come out and do his impression of an asterisk. (laughs) 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 You know, when I first moved to Los Angeles, like I said, I went to the comedy store and uh, I got to know Danny Mora. Danny. Danny? Let me tell you the quick Danny story. I'd love to hear Danny's story. Well, you know, when I first started coming there, I used to hitchhike there from San Diego, uh-huh. which is where I'm from, which is, was nothing for me because I had hitchhiked in New York City and back before yeah. in the 70s when you could hitchhike. So, and uh, there was no comedy there either, really, was there? W- where? In San Diego. Uh, no, you know, I was the, it was me and another guy were the only open micers, so they would, have down, they would have to send down a professional show. That's when the comedy store was in Pacific Beach at T.D. Hayes. And the first comics I saw were uh, Skip Stevenson, and Michael Rapport, and uh, I forgot who the other, and I thought they were all great, you know, yeah. and because the first guys I ever saw. But uh, what was I, what the hell was I, uh, space that was I talking about? You're telling us. Uh, oh, Danny Moore. Danny so Moore. anyway, I hitchhiked, I hitchhiked to the comedy store on the Monday night when they had open mic at Westwood. And that particular Monday, they had switched it to Sunset. And so I get a ride to Sunset, I get there about five minutes late, and Danny was in charge of Monday night. Yeah. You know, he'd go out there and give his spiel, like Beretta, you know. Yeah. When you see the light, say goodnight, you know, and he had his beret on. And so I tell Danny my sad story. I go, hey, man, I just hitchhiked from San Diego, and I got here late, blah, 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 blah. And he looks at me, he goes, hey, you know what? That showbiz, and it's cold. And I remember thinking, that's right, it's showbiz, and I'm in show business. And I just got excited, you know, like the kid who says, got all the pile of shit, yeah. there's a pony in there. That's how I took it. Yeah. You know, I would not be denied. All right, that is, it's showbiz, it's cold. That's right, I heard it's cold. I'm in it. Yeah. And I was that's thrilled. Job. Yeah, I was thrilled that, you know, and I remind Danny of that when I see him. You know. is he, I haven't seen, Danny was a, uh, I met Danny in his 70s. He ran like a Sunday afternoon workshop or something. Yes, like I took that. Yeah, did, yeah uh, I, I took it. But then the strike happened, and I went, well, this is all crazy, and I wandered down to the Strasbourg Institute and ended up studying acting for a number of years. But then later on, um, when I wandered back into stand-up for a while, Danny became a mentor of mine when he had the golden sales in Long Beach. Oh, yeah, and that's he, right. He that's went on right. the road with me for a while, but I've totally lost track of him. How's he doing? What is he up to? The last know? I heard, yeah, I have, we have a mutual friend, and the uh, last I heard of Danny was... Uh, well, you know, he's still acting, and he was working, and actually, I think he just got a part in a movie. He was in the, yeah, he was in that George Lopez movie yeah. about the track stars and okay. stuff. So, yeah, he's still out there doing it, you know. Danny's still working. It was Danny and a guy named Robert Aguayo. That's yeah. right. That's right. Robert Aguayo, yeah. Yes, who I used to call senior show business. <laughs> uh, and uh, they ran the Monday night at that time. And at that time, you know, when you're a Monday night comic, you just think that everybody's great and you know these guys are really important whereas Danny and Robert were both not really strong comics yeah per se that's why they had that they had that Monday night gig you know yeah but uh, again when you're a new guy just if you see anybody who could hold the mic straight you're like wow that guy is great you know <laughs> I remember when I was starting out working on switching the mic from hand to hand yeah. that was a big deal to me like okay uh, uh, let me d- put it in this hand and put it up again in this hand you know talk about holding the mic straight uh my, my dad came out in 76 to visit and uh he had his pants up high and uh he, he, before he went and he said any, any of these guys any good buddy and i said <laughs> I, 
I said, yeah. I, po- I pointed to the list, and I pointed to a couple names. I said, this guy's pretty good, and I pointed to Tim Thomerson's name. Yeah. And then I pointed to da- David. Uh-huh. And uh, the guy who had written it had crossed the two T's, so it looked like an H. So uh, then uh, we came out of the store. I said, Dad, what'd you think tonight? How'd you like what I did? He said, let me tell you something, brother. Everything you <laughs> did was, was crap. <laughs> but that, that La Herman boy was tremendous. <laughs> uh. You know what I remember about Letterman and seeing him alive is that he didn't really have an ass. He would come out and make fun of the, the cost of the drinks and, and that sort of thing. But there was just, he just there was something about him. I mean, it was really borne out. When you think about the number of people who have attempted late-night talk shows and failed and that his was so incredibly yeah. successful and always of such high quality. He was born to do that, though. Yeah. His weatherman training, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He was a uh, he was a weatherman. He actually blew up some banks, right? No, it's a different weatherman altogether. <laughs> yeah, I remember the nineteenth. Remember those weathermen? I do. Yeah, yeah. They're named after a, a line from a Bob Dylan song. Is that right? Yeah, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the, the wind, wind blows. Except for oh. homesick blues. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, so here, I, so you guys started out in the comedy store in the seventies. Uh, you're still doing it, which I'm I'm glad. Couple of questions. Uh, you kind of answered it. If if anyone was really listening and uh, attempting to uh, uh, really divine something from it, that the night you were told that you were not on the show because you were late, that that's when you realized you were in showbiz, because then he said that's showbiz. And it almost takes that sort of mentality to continue on, because there are so many incredible ups and downs of this. I mean, you've both been doing it, what, 30, 40 years now? Yeah. Okay? You know, are you working, you're, working a club, you're working a club tonight, two shows tonight, two shows tomorrow, one show Sunday, and you've both seen... I've told people, I go, I've been doing this so long, there are people who were famous for five years that you now don't know who they are. They were incredibly famous. People that come and go, how many young comics, they don't know who Sam Kinison is. That's amazing, yes. They know who Bill Hicks is. That that really amazes me that the young people know who Bill Hicks is, too, and they don't know who Sam is. But they've both been dead for 20 years now. And some of these kids who are 30, you know, they don't, you know, they aren't tuned in and I'm surprised when some of these younger kids really don't even know Johnny Carson but you know yeah. again this is if, no, you're, go ahead. if you're in your 30s Johnny's been off the year air for more than 20 years so they know Jay as that he's their Johnny you know yeah so if you don't know Johnny Carson and I know some people in their 40s who don't know who Milton Berle is yeah and Milton Berle was so big that they closed down businesses when his show was on you know he was Mr. Tuesday Mr. Television that's right and so to me, that just convinces me that fl- fame is fleeting. Like right now, in, in a couple decades, people won't know who Seinfeld is. Like who's no. that guy? You know, we. No. It would be like, yeah, he used to be on that thing called television. That <laughs> well, we used yeah, to right. That show was such a show of its era. It's an incredible show. Larry David's a great writer, but that show was such a, was such a show of its era and time that it does seem a bit dated. And I know younger people that go, well, that's kind of a show about then, you know. And I'm just amazed because it was such a cutting edge. But I have a piece. This is the most arcane piece of trivia having to do with Jeff Altman and Bill Hicks. No one knows this, probably except three people in the entire world. And I'll tell you why I know it, because Bill was a very dear friend of mine. You know, I mean, we were, we were close. Uh, uh, we saw each other all the time. I talked to him on the phone every day for most of his life, from about 1988. Till he, and I went to his apartment in New York City once. He was living in the Hell's Kitchen across from the actor's studio. And uh, he goes, I'm going to show you something here. Nobody's ever seen it. Nobody knows about it. Bill had moved out. Sam and all those guys, the outlaws, the legendary outlaws, had moved to Los Angeles. And Bill was young and then kind of followed them, but on his own. 
And within a month, he goes, I was out there a month. I had a crew cut. I didn't know what the hell's going on. Within a month, he got a TV pilot. I remember. Yeah, Bill Hicks was on a TV pilot. He was working the phone at the same time. Yeah, and the star of that TV pilot was you, Jeff. And it was a TV pilot about a guy who was an ambassador in a small Caribbean island. And yeah. you were the ambassador. The name of it was Bulba. Bulba. <laughs> and it was uh, a group of uh, people who ran uh, something on some island. And uh, but the thing I remember most about Bill is that Bill, uh, I bought a car. I bought a 63 Lincoln Continental. And Bill helped me drive the thing back back to uh, Los Angeles. We went, down, <laughs> we went down there together and dro- drove it up. I'll never forget that. Well, you, you know, I'm in Bill, mentioned in Bill's book, The American Scream, because, yeah. because I was the one who got Bill high for the first time. Uh, and, I'm the one who got him sober. And then he, yeah, <laughs> then he turned into Keith Richards. But, you know, when, when but, uh, with, you know, Bill was always a real hangdog kind of guy. Yeah. You know, so one day I, I said to Hicks, I go, look, man, you, you need to lighten up, Hicks. You need to, like, smoke a joint or something, you know? Yeah. And he got really indignant. He goes, hey, fuck you, man. I don't need some Hollywood asshole tell me I need to do drugs. I go, okay, fine, whatever. So, you know, a little short time later at the Westwood Comedy Store, he wants to smoke a joint. He wants to try it. And so, you know, smoking a joint, and he's coughing like a little girl, <laughs> and we're making fun of him, right? And I see him about a week or two later. He's like, Purdue, you know where I can get some acid? I go, what? <laughs> you can't even smoke a joint, man. You're fucking yeah. sp- you want to hit some acid? And he had taken some acid, and he loved it. He just took to it like f- you know, a duck to a water. And I remember the bit he came up with uh, then. He goes, I went into McDonald's, and I ordered a, a pie, and I knew why. And that was his, that was his <laughs> bit. You know? And I was like, Higgs. You know, I ran into him on the road in the late 80s. We had the same road agent, a woman named uh, Sandy DePerna. Sandy DePerna. Yeah, Sandy, uh, who's like... One of the unheralded great people of stand-up helped so many comics. You know, she still loves Bill. Yeah, she still does. Yeah, we're, we're Facebook friends. Yeah, me too. She's now. always She's, yeah. yeah. And uh, we we both had the same road agent, and uh, Bill and I. And it was Sandy and um, Andy Kindler and I were going to be doing Yoder gigs in Michigan, and I was driving. I was going to drive Andy. I had a new Honda Civic, so and then she called me and goes, "Can Bill ride? Because Tony can Bill ride with you? He doesn't." I go, no, no way. I hear the guy's an asshole. He'd you know, been getting in fights in bars and, and getting beat up. There was no fights. He'd get beat up. And, I uh, got one of those stories yeah. for you. And uh, she, she goes, please, Tony. He's, he brought, I go, well, all right. And I met him in a Holiday Inn in Kalamazoo. And we were doing a Holiday Inn in Kalamazoo. It's a Thursday night. And he comes and sit. He, he walks the room on a Thursday night. It's a bunch of people my age now yeah, who uh, look like me without a ponytail going, when Bob Hope dies, maybe you'll have a chance. What uh, is this? Uh, you know, and... Um, and I watched him, I went, wow, I got, that was pretty funny, but they didn't. And then the next night, he comes, sits next to me in the bar, and looks at me, goes, uh, hey, man, I talked to some people in L.A., and it was a guy named Kurt Matthews, who you may or may not know. And uh, he goes, and they tell me you don't drink. And I thought, here we go, because I heard it. I go, yeah, whatever. He goes, I, I quit about three weeks ago. Can I hang out with you? So we kind of got Bill's history here, his very first sitcom with you, Jeff, very first joint with you, Jackson. Got sober with me. We've kind of we kind of uh, cir- circled the square here. But what's your story with drinking? And uh, well, he I was working with him in Florida, and actually he was opening the show because uh, he he had some dates on the East Coast, and they were going to pay his airfare. So, you know, Bill was a real mean drunk. He had to stop yeah. drinking because he was a nasty, That's nasty drunk, yeah. right? So, so we do the show. He meets this chick who looks like Molly Ringwald, just a double for Molly Ringwald. We go across the street to this little roadhouse bar, you know, like that Patrick Swayze roadhouse. Yeah. So, 
So we're, you know, I'm with this chick. He's with this Molly Ring while we're dancing on the f- dance floor. All of a sudden on the dance floor, I hear, you fucking cunt. You fucking cunt. <laughs> and he's just going off. And the girl is, starts crying. Yeah. You know, he, he, she, I look at her. She's shocked. Like, this guy's snapped on me. He's a nut. And then the next thing I know, the bouncers come up to me and goes, hey, we got your friend outside. You better go out there and chill him out or we're calling the police on him. And so I go outside, there's Hicks out there, and he's just having a fit. He's going, they slapped me, he slapped me, and he slaps me, slaps me hard in the face, right? To exhibit. The, yeah. yeah. So I slapped the shit out of him, <laughs> all right? But that, did, that wasn't good enough because he was still in a tantrum. You know, Bill was a spoiled kid. That's how, you know, he... Oh, yeah, I know. I, I met both of his parents. Yeah, he, he yeah. grew up talking to his parents like, I could never talk to my dad. Yeah. Like, get out of my room. What are you doing in my room? That kind of... Nah. So, uh, so he, he, he's still in this tantrum like a two-year-old. And he slapped me. He slaps me again a second time <laughs> hard. I slapped the shit out of him. I go, Hicks, if you slap you me again. you want to show us on our intern, Rob, how the slaps <laughs> went? It's and over so, here, Rob. <laughs> so I smack him again, right? And I say, Hicks, if you hit me again, I'm going to just kick your ass right here in the fucking parking lot. So goes, I got to go back in there. And so we go back in there, and of course, he's in there for about five seconds. They spot him. They grab him. They throw him out. But in the tussle coming out, this vase breaks. So the next morning, I get a call from Sandy. And she said, what happened last night? Because they, they fired Bill. They kicked him out of his room. They're not going to pay him. And they're saying that he owes them $5,000 for this vase that he broke. <laughs> so all of a sudden, that Walmart vase turned into the Ming vase yeah. like the next day, right? And they lied on Hicks, too. They said he was drunk on stage. And he was never drunk while he was performing. But, uh, you know, soon as immediately after, after, immediately yeah. after, he was wasted. But that's one of the last times I saw Bill when he was having that tantrum. You know, and then he, but I love Bill. You know, he was one of my favorites. And I liked his early material better than I liked his, you know, because for me, Bill left out the the jokes in the end. He was more about, you know, play from the heart and, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. But, yeah, where's the where's the punchline there? You know, so he got really indulgent there. But I liked like his. Like Sam. Yeah, yeah he like started doing, yeah. but he started doing Sam, in my opinion, with, ah, the, you know, I think he was derivative of Sam. But I liked his early stuff. I was just, again, watching on YouTube the other night. Uh, his early stuff, when uh, he would do a bit about my parents were really serious people, and they bought me a Face the Nation lunchbox, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, you know. He had one of the great parent jokes where he goes, I had a tense relationship with my father. Kids at school go, my dad can beat up your dad. My dad can beat up your dad. Yeah, I like that joke. Said, really? When? Yeah. Great. He'll be out in the yard on Saturday. That's what he said. <laughs> you know what? It, it's interesting that you mentioned that about his, his ending stuff and screaming play for your heart and what he was doing at that point in time. Because uh, so many young comics that I know who, and, and the reason they know Bill. Because they, of that stuff. Yeah. And they also, the reason they know Bill, because uh, Bill's uh, mom, uh, Mary, who's a really wonderful lady who uh, I know uh, really well and I've met. Um, is she preserved her son's legacy. By going on Letterman. By going on Letterman. But she was clueless. I'm sorry. She was clueless about what Bill was doing before, and they didn't approve of... They didn't approve of They want him to be Bob Hope. You know, Bob Hope doesn't talk like that. But she has ran that... that She has ran... um, And I don't mean this in a bad way, negative The Bill Hicks business very, very well since since, uh, uh, Bill passed away. She... um, 
a friend of mine and I tried to get the uh, the movie rights to his his, uh, his life story. We, I had a friend of mine who was a screenwriter. He wrote uh, Sam Jackson's 187, and uh, she she sold him to Russell Crowe instead, Russell mm. Crowe's company. So she's the one who's kind of really preserved his legacy and made sure that you know uh, record companies mm. and, and videos and stuff stayed out there where no one has done that for Sam. And Sam was uh, there was always a question of the two. Uh, which came first, the chicken? They both came out of Sharon Menzel's workshop in Houston. You know, they both started around the same time. Uh, one from Oklahoma, one from Texas. Sam hit L.A. first, then Bill followed as to who was doing yeah. who. Argus brought them out. Argus brought both of them? Sam out and that crew out. Argus is working in uh, that, that Houston club. And, yeah, they, I remember when they came out. That's when Sam still dressed like a preacher. You know, Sam was a clothes horse. Yeah. You know, he just loved to dress. And when he came to the store, initially, he was still dressed in three-piece suits. And then later on, he became the rock and roll pirate, you know, with the bandana and all that. But, you know, he was he was always a suit and tie guy when he first came out. I remember when they all first came out. Uh, Jeff, I want to ask you a question. You, you know, I got my mind's eye. I mean, you have been um, uh, a great performer and a steady performer. And you've done so many. You have done everything that someone can do in this business. You've hosted your own variety show. Pink Lady and Jeff. It was your own variety show. You've been in movies. <laughs> but you did it. I mean, for, for someone else, you know, if someone's trying to break into show business and someone like you who's done so many things go, the variety show didn't go well. Okay, it didn't go well. But you did a variety show. I did. You hosted your own variety show. I had an hour-long variety show in 1980 with two Japanese girls who could not speak English. It was yeah. called Pink Lady and Jeff. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Fred Silverman had the idea that uh, these girls who were rock stars, huge rock stars in Japan, they were like the Beatles to the East. Yeah. And uh, they said, well, if we can hook them up with, like, a young comic, uh, somehow we'll, 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 we'll make a show. And uh, it was just a, a wrong formula. The girls were all mouthing all the words and, uh, you know, phonetically. And it was, uh, it was kind of a bust. Were you guys in the main room one time? I think I recall seeing you in the main room. With I, I, I don't think so, Jack. He may okay. have been in the main room with a couple of Japanese uh, girls. Yeah, but yeah, was yeah, it, maybe it was that a whole was different it. show. I just, I just remember, and this is no offense to anybody who's listening who's Japanese, but uh, I, I remember walking into their room, and you know, I was you know, intent upon learning what the, you know, the etiology of this show was and where it was headed. And uh, so I walked into the room, was introduced to them, and said, Jeff, this is Pink Lady. I said, hi, girls, how are you? We are fine. <laughs> and, 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 it, and I, I knew it was uh, I knew it was weeks before we were off the air, and it, it lasted five weeks. Did you get paid up front, Jay? I did. Yeah, yeah. I had a, I had a, I had a, a deal for thirteen shows. But how many? Now, have you done? I, I mentioned the pilot that I saw that you and Bill were on. That Bulba. Okay, and uh, have you done? You had other pilots? Did you have? You've had? You've had a lot of yeah. other shows. Yeah, right? I, I, I've I've been one of those guys that's had his fingers in every pie, you know, and uh, uh, that's how I, you know, made a pretty good living for so many years. I did a lot of commercials. I was a yeah. spokesman for a, uh, Arby's and Budweiser and all kinds of crap and. Uh, uh, you know, I, I had the variety show, and then I was a comedian on Solid Gold, and then, you know, uh, I, I, uh, I've, I've had a lot of different experiences. But I think the experience I enjoyed the most was, and this is going to sound stupid, was the Dukes of Hazard. I played a, a Huey Hogg, <laughs> Boss Hogg's uh, nephew, 
on the Dukes of Hazard, and that was that, that was really great because the directors were old guys that had directed Lone Rangers and yeah, okay. stuff like that. And it was I was out in the wilderness, and it was it was real filmmaking, and uh, you know they spent a million bucks back then in, on every show. And yeah, it was uh, you know it was number one, and when Pink Lady aired uh, in 1980. The Dukes of Hazard, which was number one show on the year, ran a rerun of me on the show. So I was running against myself <laughs> the night Pink Lady. And I think Pink Lady got like said seven people watching that night. So. <laughs> it had a lot of hype, Pink Lady and Jeff. They, they, they really built it up, but it just, oh, didn't, it just didn't quite work out. Just didn't quite work yeah. out. Still, you had five, you know, I mean, most people, you know, most people start out in the business. If you were told, well, you, you'll be on a variety show, but there'll be five. Okay, fine. I'll take that. So well, you've had a lot of things that people really desire. When you're making, you know, uh, there's a place. Do you remember the beach ball? No. Huh. the beach. Tim Thomerson, who, in my estimation, you influenced me some and uh, a lot of other people, I think. Yeah. And the funniest guy I think I've ever seen. <laughs> my first mentor. Yeah. 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 He, he was the funniest guy I ever saw perform. And uh, uh, he, he called me up when he says, Altman, this is Thomerson, man. You want to go down to the beach, <laughs> the beach ball? It's, it's down in Newport. He's 75 bucks. I said, 70? You mean for one show? <laughs> and, and he said, yeah. And I said, oh, this is, this is, this is, I just hit, hit uh, pay dirt. Yeah? So. That was uh, one of your first paid gigs? One of my first paid gigs. And uh, I just, uh, you know, the main thing, do you got to go? No, I don't know. Uh, we got to wrap up in a little bit. But I, yeah. Um, you know, you're talking my very first paid gig, yeah. Paul Hop paid me. Oh, my God. Paul Hop, who now runs uh, the Laugh Factory, had the club out here, Finney Bones. Paid you in Blow? Uh, no, he did not <laughs> pay me in Blow. Okay? And uh, uh, and he would adamantly, he will adamantly say, say today that he never, and I will testify that he never tried to pay anybody in Blow. Okay, guys, got it? Yeah. Uh, um, Rich Scheidner brought me out as his opening act. Only Rich didn't tell me that he wasn't coming out the first two nights, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I had no idea where I was going. I'd done comedy for two months and um, came out here. And I remember that getting 200 bucks for doing, um, doing four or five nights with Michael Finney and Rich Scheidner. And it is an incredible experience the first time you get paid. Oh, man. And I tell you what else could be an incredible experience. That the producers let me know that we gotta, we got to wrap this segment up. I would sit here. I literally would talk to you guys till it was time for you to go to your show. But uh, after a while, then it would become torture for you. you know, this guy's not going to let us go. If you're looking for something to do tonight, two shows tonight, two shows Saturday, one show Sunday, uh, let me urge you. And I, I actually have a, a show, and, and Paul knows this, in another part of the city, Friday. I would urge you to go to this show. We'll, we'll have people at our show. If you are looking for uh, an incredible night of, of really funny entertainment, please go down to the Laugh Factory at ScottsdaleLaughFactory.com, where you will see Jackson Purdue and Jeff Altman, two of the funniest guys I have ever met. They are there for two shows tonight. Two shows Saturday, one show Sunday. Uh, check them out. If you're ever in Los Angeles at the Comedy Store, any place, check them out. You will be glad that you did. This is what comedy is all about when you see these guys. My name is Tony Vizic. This is This American Podcast, Comedy Edition on ComedySchoolsRadio.com. We will be back in just a couple of moments. <laughs>